Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. Hi, everyone. Well, thank you, Jay. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, everyone, for having us today. And thanks to everyone who is joining us through every platform in which is this is going live. Yes. Hi, everyone. Good afternoon, good evening, or even good morning. Not sure where you're tuning in from, uh, but welcome. Um, I'm not sure if everyone can see our screen um, sharing the slides already, but just let us know and we'll fix that right away. Yep. Um, well, but first of all, we want to start by introducing ourselves. Uh, my name is Florencia Folia. I'm based in Buenos Aires, Argentina. My background is in translation and interpreting. I have also experience as a project manager and as an account manager. And I have been in the localization industry for almost 10 years now. I'm part of the board of the Game Developers Association here in Argentina that is called ADVA. And I'm also one of the Women in Games ambassadors since 2020. I joined the Terra Localizations family in 2014. Back then, as I said, I started as a project manager. And together with Alexis uh, and two other colleagues of mine, uh, we co-host Open World, a video cast on video games, localizations, and memes. Yes, you heard that correctly. Exactly. So, well, uh, I believe that some of you know me already. Uh, I'm Alexis. Uh, I'm 32 years old. I'm based in Buenos Aires, Argentina. And first of all, I'm just a gamer. <laughs> I'm also a freelance mm -hmm. translator. I'm a dad. And I do a bunch of stuff. But my background is in business development since my very first job as an 18-year-old uh, selling video games at a local video game store. Uh, currently, I'm working as a public relations manager at Astral Clock Tower Studios. I'm also Terra Localization's marketing manager. And as Flor said, I'm one of the co-hosts of Open World. Yes, thank you for having me with uh, in this talk, Alexis. I know that it was announced that you were going to give it alone, but here I am. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. Here you are, thankfully. Uh, so, thankfully so happy to, to join you uh, on this session today. My pleasure. Well, what brought us today was LQA, as the title uh, of the session said. But we want to start to discuss what is exactly LQA. Because some people may say linguistic quality assurance, some others may say localization quality assurance. Both are correct, but we want to make sure that you fully understand what's involved within the LQA process, right? So LQA is where quality assurance meets localization, culturalization and testing for the video game industry. This is a process where quality of the, where the quality of the translation and how well it integrates into the game is actually tested. Um, LQA can make the difference when releasing your game since it can improve the overall player's experience, of course. And as I said, LQA involves test testing, prevention and deep inspection of a game before it gets published. But it hasn't always been like this in the video game industry. I mean, yes, we have localization, but testing and LQA have evolved through the years. So now we're going to have a take, uh, take a quick look on how things used to be uh, back then, shall we? Yes, let's go back to um, the early 90s. Let's go back to Final Fantasy VI, to be precise, in this example. So an important concern for early localization was the limited amount of processing space available to house text strings that were longer than the original. Um, this happened uh, heavily on the NES and SNES versions the, mm -hmm. those days. So. Um, I want to take something that one of the translators of Final Fantasy VI 
said uh, in an interview back in 1994, uh, the man is called Ted Woolsey. He says that having to continually cut down the English text due to the limited capacity, uh, because you can get twice as much information um, in the same space when you write in Japanese than when you write in English. Mm -hmm. And this can also uh, happen in many other languages as well, such as German. Uh, but, I mean, this is the, the process that takes the longest to make sure that you get everything right when you do the translation and that it all makes sense uh, in the small space that was left, right? So it started to become clear that the localization process needed extra steps. Mm -hmm. Yes, as we're going to see later on this uh, presentation, uh, some languages take more space than others. So this is something that was an issue back then and we clearly solved along the way, but we wanted to bring that up. And here on this example, um, we wanted to showcase something that can be discussed within the LQA process as well, because I know that we talked about testing being uh, a part of the LQA process, but here's where we can make a clear difference between technical testing and actual LQA. Within the LQA process, apart from checking all the visuals, um, all the visual content that we have to take into account, also cultural aspects of the target market. And here I want to share with you an example from Pac-Man, because I'm not sure if you're familiar with this um, example or this story, but <laughs> I recently learned that if they had kept the Japanese original title, it would have been Puckman, as in P-U-C-K. Mm -hmm. But the decision was made to change the name when the game was imported to the United States. Why? Because they feared that the word Puck would be vandalized into an obscenity, which, if you ask I me, can was see that. totally spot on, of course. I can see that. I can see that mm -hmm. it was correct, yes. Yes, and the change in con cultural context between the two countries provoked a change in the game text that was not what what was wasn't what we'd called a precise or even literal translation, right? Uh, and we're bringing this particular example here since this kind of kind of decisions of adapting um, a character's name or even the title of your game for a specific target market can be either brought on early stages of development or even during the LQA process. Of course, if you have this kind of questions in mind on early stages of development, you will save a lot of time from LQA. But as we've said, we've come a long way since uh, Pac-Man and Final Fantasy VI, as we've been discussing. Um, but I've been having conversations with many game developers and even people from the publisher side. And every single time that we talk about localization and localization quality and even testing and LQA, the same question seems to continue popping, popping up in these conversations. How do we assess the quality of a language if we don't actually master that language? Mm -hmm. How do I make sure that the localization was done right without me having to speak and be fluent in 15 languages, right? Yeah, it, it's pretty hard to do it all on your own, right? Mm -hmm. um, but these are valid questions that needed an answer. So nowadays we know that games need to be localized in order to achieve global success. And although we always suggest starting with four or five languages, when we say global, we are talking about <clears throat> at least 15 languages. I mean, yes, global is not just European languages. And as we stated on our last IGB talk, the, the last conference, uh, we always suggest to start small, as small as you can, but think big think with those 15 languages in mind from the get-go. So unless you have a reliable community willing to provide you with constant and trustworthy feedback on your localization, you will need backup from an LQA team. Um, so in this presentation, we want to share with you some areas in which you could focus in order to save time in the LQA process and of course, have it done professionally. 
And yes, we always um, stress this, and I think we're going to repeat this over and over and over through all of our um, webinars and sessions. Uh, we always try to think of a global community, right? Because mm -hmm. we know that video games don't exist in a vacuum. They're built to be shared and enjoyed by a community, and, and if you're lucky, a global one. But we shouldn't leave that to lack, right? Um, mm. We can all agree here that community is one of the main reasons you're interested in localizing your game in the first place. And if that's not a priority, then you should uh, double check that. Yes, which brings us to uh, one of the concepts of this talk, which is internationalization. Um, internationalization is the best way you can honor all of your communities and to achieve that, you first need to start with the backbone of your game, which is its UI. Mm -hmm. Internationalization is directly related to its design, since here is where you have the opportunity to customize plots, characters, monetization, and apply geocultural strategies as well for all of your international communities. So the LQA team will focus on fonts, line breaks, spacing, colors, items, and how those colors and items can be combined, always having the target culture in mind. Yes, I know that this process can sometimes be challenging and complicated, but don't worry. That's why we are here. That's why you are here, because we got you. Uh, we'll be sharing with you different aspects you can take into account when designing your UI so that you can streamline it across all your target languages and save time from the localization and LQA stages. Oh, I'm hearing <laughs> Fulan over there. Yes, apparently uh -huh. my cat has something to say on LQA. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, if you hear- Good luck um, localizing that. Yeah, if you hear meows <laughs> in the background, it's my cat. And actually, now that you bring it, there's uh, an app that identifies what you're, or at least tries to identify what your cats are trying to communicate through their uh, screens. Right? <laughs> well, he's right talking animalese. He's, <laughs> he's talking animalese for sure. Okay, can you let me continue? Can I continue, please? Thank, Thank you, you, Fulano. Yeah. <laughs> and in case that you don't speak Spanish, Fulano means John Doe. So that's yeah. my cat's name. <laughs> <laughs> well, continue to with the presentation. Sorry, guys, about that. Um, but yeah, um, we want to talk about UI and how you can tweak and uh, modify it so that during the LQA process, you don't have any issues along the way. So one of the first signs that can give away that a game was not localized properly can be uh, a cluttered UI. And you can find overlapping text and even awkward formatting. Mm -hmm. um, we always suggest to avoid this, uh, to keep in mind that translated text, as Ale was mentioning before, can be up to 20 to 30% longer than the English source language text. So. We should always plan uh, for responsive spacing in our UI if we want to avoid this. In case that you haven't planned for responsive spacing in your UI, um, your translators will need to come up with an abbreviation or mm -hmm. sometimes even a shorter version of the original text. And we don't want to do that because sometimes you may uh, be um, fallen into a not so accurate translation or even missing uh, very important information and you definitely don't want to do that. Um, sometimes an easy way to get this done is to use elements that you can scale up or down. Of course, that always depends on the size of the text. Yeah, so the most important note about this is that your UX has to work with every language your game will be published in. Um, it's crucial to make it useful and effective for players of all target languages. Yes, absolutely. Um, you want to design your game with your player in mind, as we've been saying. Uh, but what do we mean by that in terms of LQA? We mean that you should take into account where they are located. Depending on your target market, you may need to adapt certain aspects within your game, such as numerical data, 
times, time dates, currency, and sometimes even <laughs> calendar-related events are, are different from language to language. Mm -hmm. um, so your game's UI should be designed with this in mind, local formats, specific var variations, and icons and graphics. Regarding local specific variations, your UI uh, should be ready to address different aspects. For example, uh, there are languages that are written from right to left, like Arabic, right? So if you plan to expand into locals that use this writing style, you should make sure that your UI supports that as well. And when it, it comes to icons and graphics, uh, this might seem like a no-brainer, but it's always best to include universally understood and accepted icons when, whenever and wherever possible. Uh, red potion means HP and blue potion means MP in pretty much 99% of games. Um, and you can also choose to localize icons for every culture, or even better, you can internationalize them to cut down on the number of words that you localize into your UI, right? Yeah, that's a cool tip. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, everything has to be localized as this amazing state-of-the-art everything <laughs> sign reads that we did not do with Paint, with <laughs> Windows Paint, I promise. But you have to make you have to make the player feel what you feel every time you open the game. That's why the LQA team is so important. They can help the gamer get those same emotions. You want every player to get the full experience regardless of their language. So everything that you leave without localizing, luckily enough, the LQA team will flag it. Exactly. And now we want to uh, do a little recap of the localization process so that you can fully understand where we're situated when we're talking about LQA within the pipeline, right? Uh, so as we've been discussing in this session and our previous session, you always want to understand your target audience and markets. Then um, you want to make your code game as friendly as possible for different locales. The third stage would be to localize uh, all the content that means translating, editing, proofreading, and even doing voiceover and subtitling of all the content that's going to be within your game. And then once that stage is completed, you should be able to implement the localized text and content into your build. And that's where uh, LQA comes in, into play. Uh, once the LQA stage is completed, you go through the functional testing. Once the functional testing is completed, you prepare your game for store submission. And yes, you finally publish your game. Yes. You, yes. <laughs> That's <laughs> the, the best part of this whole pipeline, right? <laughs> That's um, where you want to get. Yeah. And sometimes that, it doesn't uh, end there. Sometimes you want to include updates or even live ops and DLC. So in case that you're considering doing that, you will have to go back to square one and uh, go through all those stages again, because of course, every single content that goes uh, into your game and is later on localized should go through the same process. Yeah, it deserves the same treatment, right? So now that we know where we are standing with LQA is when we go deep into its phases. Because, yeah, like Goku here, um, <laughs> it involves different phases. The umbrella of LQA involves linguistic, visual, and functional QA. So linguistic QA, as the name implies, involves all grammatical aspects of the QA which is grammar, spelling, punctuation, symbols, culturalization mistakes, uh, for example, geography mistakes that can happen in a map, or even inconsistent translations, such as terms localized two different ways, or instances where a name of a character was left untranslated when it actually needed to be localized. Yes, then we also have visual QA, as Alan mentioned. And this stage within the LQA takes it a step further. And we will focus on matters such as 
font issues where you can find truncated text or even missing characters. Um, you may spot untranslated content. You also may find UX or even UI issues, um, graphics that are misplaced or even incorrect line breaks. Exactly. Then <clears throat> functional QA is the one that everyone will be more familiar with because it involves the testing side of the QA. Um, this includes testing on any device that your um, game will be in, and it will require testing with different hardware, so you have to be prepared to create a matrix to track the results of all the text in every platform. So during FQA, uh, we typically test compatibility, performance, how the AI behaves, and audio text and subtitling. Yes, this is um, the part where you want to break the game, right? Exactly. <laughs> Before your gamers um, try it out. Make the testers break it, not the gamers. Exactly. And now we want to move uh, on and talk about the people behind the team, the people that actually carry out the LQA process itself. And... Localization is definitely not an island. As many other areas within the game development process, they do not stand on their own, and the localization team is not an exception to that. Think of uh, this process as an Age of Empires campaign. You'll need every piece of unit to make your city work and achieve your goals, right? That's why within the LQA process, we're going to need the involvement of everyone within your team uh, and within the localization team. We may want to bring into the conversation game developers, even project owners, linguists, translators, editors, um, even uh, game designers, UX and UI designers, sound experts, and of course, you want to bring the LQA specialists. LQA is a very detail-oriented and complex process, and everyone should be involved in the conversation to um, make the, the whole process work, right? Yes, even Fulano. So... <laughs> yeah, but he, he has a really strong opinion today about LQA. <laughs> <laughs> so, so far, um, we've been sharing some pretty insightful information. So... The name of the talk is LQA ARNA, right? So mm -hmm. as my body here, the dog Chimps is wondering what <laughs> happens if I go nay, right? Uh, but I'm not gonna go there. So Flor, you take it away because it can get messy. <laughs> You're leaving me with the worst slide of this presentation. <laughs> take it away, Flor. Uh, but yeah, on this slide, we can see a couple of examples of worst case scenarios where yeah. some games were even pulled from stores or brand from um, specific countries or regions. Um, because here, LQA can be a great ally if you want to avoid your game from being banned uh, from a specific market. And of course, you can also avoid uh, lawsuits and tons of bad publicity. Um, like we said before, not only grammatical or linguistic aspects are analyzed during LQA. We also want to focus on cultural aspects um, because this um, could avoid all those cases that you can see on the screen. Yeah, cultural aspects are key. Mm -hmm. But this another example that we can provide uh, is the one of Hades, right? Um, they made some poor decisions uh, in the beginning when localizing their game, and their fans didn't take long to make themselves heard. I mean, I say their fans, I'm a fan as well. Uh, I love the game. <laughs> I'm, I love my Exagriff build, the machine gun, uh, gun that you get, uh, and I truly can't pass the Minotaur and Theseus boss fight in the Elysium fields, but... That's You'll get story. there. <laughs> <laughs> but if you play the game in Spanish, French, or even German, you may have heard about what's coming on the next slide. Yes. Hades, the game of the year candidate, 
had a localization strategy that was questioned by many of their non-English speaking fans, as you can see on this slide. While the devs did confirm they used professional translation services, they also mentioned that they handpicked members of their community to do the LQA testing. And from you, what you can see on this tweet, it clearly backfired. Yes, uh, it's a shame. They fix it eventually, right? But it's a shame uh, because it's kind of obvious that we have to go yay by now, right? Um, if we were alive, I, I, I would ask you to raise your hands if you are thinking of going yay. <laughs> Hi, Fulano. But yeah. we can yes, all agree that, that no one wants a horde of people tweeting about how bad your game translation is, right? So, yes, we have to go yay. But how yes. can we do that? <clears throat> yes, as we said, um, LQA can be an ally to avoid bad publicity, as in this mm -hmm. case, right? But where do we start? Well, as in every other stage of game development, as every other stage when you decide to either build a new team within your studio or even outsource um, a team to help you out with LQA, we always need to start with planning and budgeting, right? Because we need to know how much time we're going to need to complete this process and how much money we're going to need to do it. Uh, once you sort out your budget, you want to definitely want to get familiarized with different tools that will help you and your team uh, to get the LQA, LQA done properly. So you definitely want to explore your options there. Exactly. So um, let's talk a little bit about planning and budgeting, shall we? Um, you should know that generally speaking, the localization industry is driven by price per word and the fee of a project manager. But instead, LQA is charged by the hour. Uh, why, mm -hmm. you may ask? Well, I mean, there are different aspects to take into account when carrying out a linguistic QA. For example, the LQA team needs time to get familiarized with the characters in the first place, right? So the GDD, Lord documents, and everything you throw their way, they will start by analyzing it, all the content of the game, and even create style guides. So they also need to be experts in geoculturalization and in the target market that you're aiming in all target markets, actually. Um, they must have an understanding of the mechanics and style of the game. So in order to estimate LQA times and to budget accordingly, you need to know how many hours of gameplay they will have to analyze. And we always suggest doubling that time for the before and after instances of preparation and issue reporting. They also, this is a no-brainer, right? But they have to be knowledgeable on QA tools. <laughs> you don't want to start by teaching a tester how to use them. Um, and of course, you have to take into account, as I said, the time that issue reporting takes, because it's not only about finding it, but about reporting it as well. Um, this stage for the LQA is pretty similar to what is done in a technical testing stage. Uh, they take screenshots of the issue they encounter, they describe it, give the best solution for each one, and they will in include the repro steps in order for the devs to find it and fix it. Yes, and remember we told you that localization is not an island? We're here, we want to share with you some instances where you can support your LQA team um, to provide the best service they can. So you should definitely uh, help them as much as you can. Once you have a budget plan and you know how much time you will need to make the LQA work within your pipeline, there are certain tools that you can implement and even provide to your team to make the whole process much easier in terms of consistency, communication, and even efficiency for both you and the LQA team. Exactly. So one way or two, actually, or maybe even three uh, things that you can do to help your LQA team uh, is to give them the right tools to get the job done, right? You can assist them uh, to make them have their processes smoother and you don't have to let them do all the hard work on their own you can make their life is their lives easier too. give them debug tools 
a good style guide and a glossary. We're gonna go in depth with style guides and glossaries just a few slides away, so don't worry about that. Yes, and we also, well, Ali mentioned debug tools. It is super important that you share all your tool set with your QA partners to further integrate your workflows together. If, for example, your LQA team is equipped with the right software, the whole process can be easier and faster for both of you. I'll always remember that tools should be as interactive as possible so that um, even though, as Alice said, it's always good to find teams that are familiarized with the different technology and software, um, tools should be easy to integrate and to use so that in case that they need to learn them from scratch, it doesn't take them that long, right? Yes. So this brings us to style guides and glossaries. Um, these documents will help you build consistency across documents, screens, and all digital media in terms of brand and visual representation. Guidelines can help everyone be aligned with your vision of the game, right? But for you to have a, a, a better idea, these are some of the information you may want to include in your style guide. But fret not, don't take any screenshots of, 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 the, of what's going on on screen right now. Uh, we will be sending you some sample style guides. Um, I'm sure that either Jay or Dan is going to help us find the best way uh, for you to get them. But we're going to give you some sample style guides, query sheets, and glossaries as takeaways. So don't worry about that. We got you. you we have a goodie bag for, mm -hmm. for you guys. Yes. That's correct. And when it comes to the glossary, the glossary is vital for an LQA tester and for the lo whole localization team for that matter. It uh, will help them make sure that the definite base game knowledge and consistency in vocabulary are in order. A glossary is the terminology base in a particular domain of knowledge with the definitions for those specific terms. So the glossary is a key tool that will help you avoid errors and different um, and, and differences that could confuse the player and make them feel uncomfortable, which we definitely don't want to. Are you looking for a publisher for your game? Well, we have something special just for you. It's the most comprehensive listing of PC, console, and mobile publishers in the industry. Over 700 companies sorted by platform with links to their websites. You can get the list at www.powellgroupconsulting.com slash publisher dash list. And you can get it for free. Check it out. So we're coming to an end uh, to, to this presentation, unfortunately. So we want to recap on what we've discussed so far. Um, so we started with what LQA is and how the process looks like. We went through different strategies that you can implement on early stages of development to avoid losing time and even money during the localization and LQA processes such as tweaking the UX and UI in certain ways uh, for, for the content to be adaptable on each uh, target market. We also discussed what can go wrong if you don't have a proper LQA system in place. And we went through planning, budgeting, and tools that you may want to include within uh, LQA so that you can include everything in your pipeline. So, you're finally awake on what LQA is all about, or at least that's that was our goal for the talk. Uh, my voiceover of that was terrible, I'm sorry. <laughs> but now you know where to implement uh, LQA in your pipeline and what can go wrong if you decide to, for some whatever reason, go nay. <laughs> yes, we certainly hope you are. And as we said, localization quality assurance is um, a process that allows you to move past cultural and linguistic barriers 
and will also allow us to make our dev work shine, right? Because players won't be distracted by any errors on the UI whatsoever. LQA, as you should know by now, is where you can test the quality of the translation and its integration into your game. A game with a strong localization strategy is a game that gets downloads. That's uh, for sure. And like you, we have been saying through the session, prevention in early stages of development is always ideal to save time and money during the LQA stage. So we want to thank every one of you who made it until the end. We truly hope that you are awake, that you didn't fall asleep <laughs> during the talk. And you got some achievements along the way, some Steam achievements. No, you didn't, but we made it look like you did. <laughs> so, I like um, Steam achievements. Yeah, of course. I just want to know if um, all your base are belong to us, right? <laughs> you know what? You know what? That, that There's a story behind that. Uh, we decided not to use that example because it's the cheesiest example Let's hear in it. the book. It's kind of growing old, though, is it? I mean, there are so many new examples around, um, unfortunately, of localization <laughs> not done done correctly. That mm -hmm. it's, I mean, I find it easier to to use examples that are current, right? Right. Oh, here we go. We've got a question. Oh, here's a comment that cat needs a good cuddle. No, it did not. Oh, he picked yeah. it up and that guy just jumped right off her and started meowing. Oh, no, um, he wants attention. He's yeah. like attention Human seeker. annoyed, mission accomplished, leave. <laughs> leave, exactly. Yep. That's All right, so here's from Miss Pixel. Mm, hi, uh, Miss Pixel. I, can I ask the LQA team hey. just create style guides and glossaries from scratch? Oh, that's a great question. Well, actually, you can. I mean, if you're a small team uh, or even if you're a one-person studio, it, you need to wear a lot of hats. And sometimes you may not need time and you may not have the time to, to actually go through this uh, style guide and glossary creation or even you may not be interested or, or enjoy it. So you can definitely reach out to professionals, either translators or even... Uh, language service providers that can provide that service for for you. All you can do is to you should need per, to to give them all the lore documents, the GDD, yeah, the so GDD. that they can get fully familiarized with the content and with your game. Uh, but they can definitely help you out with that. All right, here's one from Andy the Noki on Twitch. Are there any specific? communication channels you would recommend to keep the dev team and the local team in contact? Well, thank you, Andy, for your question. And well, yes, um, working uh, in this industry, and especially after 2020, we've all learned and we've all implemented new and different ways uh, to communicate with our teams. Um, we usually use Slack. Um, Slack. Skype, but some others use um, other tools. But we recommend um, it depends on what works for you best. If you're using Slack within your dev team, why couldn't you use it with your localization team, right? Yes, if you already have uh, a way of communicating with your team, just onboard your brand mm -hmm. new LQA team to it. Absolutely. So Ian Martin on YouTube has a, how often should I check the query sheet? Oh, that's a very interesting question because yes, as we've been talking through the session, the query sheet is a very useful tool when working with localization teams, either during the translation and editing and proofreading phase or even during the LQA and testing phase. Um, questions may arise because some teams may choose to work with different teams for the localization stage and then for the LQA stage, and they may or may not be in contact with each other. So questions may arise regarding context, regarding um, specific characters, or even if specific words, uh, how they should be treated in different uh, languages. So we suggest to check that periodically. Sometimes, as I said, if you're a one single person team, um, you may not have time to enter to the query sheet every single day. So you may set a time, a specific day of the week for 
um, your team to be aware that you're going to get back to them on the queries. And in case that, for example, there's something that's super urgent and um, you may be reaching the deadline and you need to publish your game and you haven't answered those uh, questions, the team should be aware of that as well so that they can reach you through other channels so that they can get an answer from you right away. Yeah, get it in your calendar, in everyone's calendar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, well, here's a question uh, for those people that don't know. What exactly is a query sheet? And I'm not talking about myself. I just, right now, <laughs> I know what it is. What is a query sheet? Well, it can be, it's, it's um, an Excel file, uh, a spreadsheet that you can add as many columns as possible, but you can start with um, just a date, um, maybe a ticket number if you're using a manage management system like Jira, for example, or as simple as a code that you can generate within your team, um, the language that you're talking about. And then the, you may include different information depending on, on what stage you are. If you're in the localization stage, you want to include the source, source text and then the target text so that whenever you write a question, for example, if I'm translating uh, a game and there's a specific string that I don't know how to localize or if there's a specific um, number or information that I'm not sure how to localize into Spanish, which is my native language, mm -hmm. I would enter the question within this uh, shared spreadsheet with um, the dev team and I would select that string and bring the issue that I'm having so that they can give me an answer on how to deal with that specific term. So it's a spreadsheet where you centralize the communication regarding localization, um, where the translators, editors, proofreaders, or even uh, testers can bring questions that cannot be solved through the glossary or style guide or even by the context that you already provided. Right, because there might be like you not know what it means or there might be some weird slang that you're unaware exactly. of. Exactly. Okay, yeah. uh, let's see, where are we at? Doop, doop, doop. Sergio Garces, um, how do you handle frequent updates, ideally without retesting the entire game each time? Well, that's a great question, Sergio. And that's a tricky one as well, because we all know that we would love to have more time for the localization stage, but we always um, consider it as an afterthought uh, mm -hmm. within the, the, the whole game development process. And we don't have enough time to start all over again. So what we recommend in those cases is to find a team that can... Um, help you make the content bit consistent and try to continue working with the team with every single uh, new content that you generate. So that, for example, if you stick working with the same translator for the same language throughout the whole process, that language or that team will be fully familiarized with your content. And in that way, you will avoid any inconsistencies or issues with updates or DLC or even live ops, because the team that will be working on those um, files, new strings, will be already familiarized with the content that you already published. That's yeah, it, the ideal scenario, right? Yeah, I mean, it's key to have uh, all of your translators involved in the process uh, of the development of your game. So that way you make not only um, you don't have to retest all of all of the game, but you keep them noted on everything that's going mm -hmm. on. So you make their lives easier, you short uh, times, and you save money as well. Mm. Yeah, and maybe you can also even schedule, like once you publish the, the game, maybe you can retest it depending on how many updates or DLC you included within the next three, six, or 12 months, you can go back and then analyze it like as um, a whole. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's good stuff. Uh, here, This is a tough one right here. Jay huh. Silstra, do other languages and regions require the same breadth of gender pronouns becoming common in English? Do specific in English gender pronouns map to specific ones in other languages? Yes, and that's a great question, Jay. Um, and we 
always try to include that in the style guide. And if you don't, you can always ask the linguist to help you out and guide you on the gender pronouns that are preferred in their um, their culture or even in their country. Um, and you should always include that information in the style guide. But yes, there are specific gender pronouns for each language. There are some uh, languages as German that have four, <laughs> have feminine, masculine, neutral, and I'm forgetting one. <laughs> Yeah, his follow-up was, for example, to say, say, mm -hmm. say, I don't even know how to say that, map to specific pronouns in other languages, or are they language-specific? Hmm, I'm not sure what say, stands for, or no, I'm not sure what language that is, but we can, I would love to follow up on that uh, yeah. over the score, if that's okay, because um, we can definitely discuss that with, with Jay over there. Excellent. Oh, here we go. Uh, Miss Pixel again from Twitch. If the LQA team detects errors in the localization, what's the best way from avoiding them again? How can we provide feedback to translators? Well, that's a great question. Um, like I said, the localization team and the LQA team may or may not be uh, <clears throat> connected or in contact to each other. So sometimes the LQA team may detect some errors that came from the localization uh, stage because we're all humans and then sometimes they we make mistakes, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, so what's important here is, of course, as they are saying, is to provide feedback because from feedback we learn and we improve uh, because there are always instances to improve. So again, this query sheets, this... Um, LQA spreadsheets, shared spreadsheets will help you track those instances where you found errors. And it's always interesting to provide feedback to either of the teams. It can be the LQA team or the localization team uh, so that they can fully understand what you expect from them and they can improve and next deliveries. Of course, if you see that that doesn't change, then uh, you will have to do something about it. But um, usually, I mean, we're always eager to learn and the, the translators have this profile that they're super curious and they're always trying to, to improve their quality and they will always be open to receiving feedback. Um, so maybe you can implement a sort of spreadsheet where you share, maybe if it's a big project and it's a specific language, you can share like general errors that you found throughout the, the, the same language so that they can avoid them. Or if that's just one single person working on a project, you can approach them and give them feedback on a regular basis to make sure that they have a consistent quality throughout their deliveries. Um, so the company that you work with, does that localize into any language or is it like specifically Spanish or? Uh, we do pretty much every single language that's out there. <laughs> right now we're a multilingual service provider. Um, mm -hmm. And yes, we're working with European languages, Asian languages, um, all Latin American, Spanish, all the variants. So yeah, um, even African languages. So yeah, we, we handle them all. Yep. Yep. Okay. So how does, like, if someone's looking for localization and they go to mm -hmm. a localization company, how do, how would a developer determine their linguist credentials? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, people is always willing to share details on the games that they worked on, especially, well, that's what I actually love about this industry that, you can tell when someone is passionate about games and they will be super proud to share as long as NDAs allow them, of course, they yeah. will be able to share details on the projects that they've been working on, what genres they are, um, they prefer working on, um, how many words they process if they either translate it or proofread. Uh, so always ask for reference. I mean, if they don't show it on their CV, then ask questions. Feel free to ask them, okay, what projects are you working on? Is there a specific genre that you prefer working on? Uh, and that will make it much easier for you to make a decision later on. Okay. 
Um, dude, what what does your company what does what's the TEP process for your company? The TEP process, well, and that means that, translation, editing, editing, and proofreading. And proofreading. Exactly. Yes. Well, that's um, uh, jargon of the localization industry. That's great, Indy, that you brought that um, because now many people I know smart. about that process. <laughs> yes, you are. Thank <laughs> I you. Smart. Smart. <laughs> All <laughs> your base are belong to us. <laughs> um. But yeah, the translation editing and proofreading process involves at least three people, or at least that's what we try to do always, uh, because that's what our ISO certification um, demands, of course, is for us to comply with this process. And we have to have three different people on each stage, because on the first one is, will be the translator that will be working with the source text and translating it directly to the target language then another set of eyes will be reviewing and comparing the target uh, language with the source text. And finally, a third person will then leave the, tar the source uh, text behind and will be completely focused on the target uh, language. And there they will make sure that all the style guides, glossaries, and all the information that you provided makes sense and that it's readable and it's fluent and there are no inconsistencies, there are no cultural um, barriers that the translator and editor may have missed. Mm -hmm. And once it, it goes through the proofreading stage, it's ready to publish. So how is, how is your, when, when you translate, how is your content mm -hmm. stored, right? How is the content um, stored and served? Great question as well. Uh, it depends on the company and on the studio that we're working on. Um, it can vary. We can we have our own uh, servers and we have our own translations uh, management tool that is called TerraSoft. And we also have uh, our own um, CAT tool server that is called MemoQ, our preferred um, CAT tool. CAT tools are just a translation assisted, uh, assisted translation uh, management tools so that uh, we can process all the document through there. But depending on the publisher or even the studio, we can work through their systems because as we all know, there are many security uh, levels mm -hmm. that we should take into account when dealing with video game content. Um, so depending on the project that we're working on, we may even work on um, the studios or publisher servers. Right, so is there like, is there a specific group of people that controls the upload and downloads of the information or just everyone well, actually, has access to it? Oh, or? no, no, no. That That's also a great question because those are the project managers or mm. even the account managers. The account managers. Um, exactly. It's kind I like of getting the... told I have great questions, so thank you. <laughs> they are all great questions. I'm already yes, seeing the are. next one. Oh, now you're, now you're just minimizing question. it. Oh. Now you're minimizing it. <laughs> not always doing that good stuff. Okay. Um, no, but it was a really a great question because it's yeah. like um, the project managers within the localization uh, team, it's like the counterpart of the producer or the localization producer from the publisher or even the studios. Hmm. Uh, they are the ones who can have control over the team, have control over their content, uh, make sure that deadlines are met, that everyone is uh, productive and making sure that they deliver on time and every, everything is processed in due time. And they are the ones that will be reaching out to uh, the studios or even the publishers in case that there are any questions regarding the, the content or even if there are some issues that we encounter, encounter that we want to flag regarding culturalization or any target market. So yeah, okay. that's so the they're, they're the ones that get paid more to take the brunt of the fall. Like, it's your <laughs> fault. It's your fault. Um, well, <laughs> we, we usually don't see it like that because we try to keep. We got to blame it on somebody, right? <laughs> Do we though? I mean, yeah. we always try to to keep communication as open as possible to avoid those uh, mistakes. We try right. to analyze the content, take our time, and make sure that we estimate it the time the time and the deadlines correctly because that's why we stress so much about planning and budgeting because we always know that we we definitely don't want to miss the the publishing date because 
there are so many things at stake, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the more open the communication is within teams, the better, because as Alia said, we always need to know when the game is actually going to go live, because that's some key information for us to know how much time we have to actually deliver the content and then how much time you're going to need to insert the localization into the build, which is another stage that takes time as well. Mm-hmm. And then you got to take time for mistakes and da, 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 oh da, yeah, da, and yeah. You always yeah. have to leave room for uh, wiggle. Yeah. <laughs> or for wiggle over. because we are all people, right? Uh, let's see. Uh, we've got a couple more questions. Jay Zilstra again. How important is it to localize to regional differences, e.g., Castilian Spanish versus Mexican Spanish? Like, for example, the use mm-hmm. of vosotros. Can I take this one? I'm too silent. Yes, please. Down I've been <laughs> talking a lot. Thank you. Anya. No, but no, but please. Thank you. Thank you. You've been killing all the questions. No, uh, but it, it, I mean, uh, that's a great question, Jay. That's a great mm-hmm. question, Jay. Yeah, yeah that's thank how you, Jay. <laughs> um, I mean, it's very, very important because um, it comes with how do you say like you just stated vosotros how do you say you or how do you use uh idioms or how do you um say to your close friends or how do you even say curse words so it's not the same as you say mexican spanish for instance to localize the word i don't know chaval which is like dude or guy or whatever uh, into the uh, Spanish market than it would be to uh, have your game into the Mexican market. So how important? Uh, it's the same as if, I don't know, you are American, for instance, and the game is purely localized uh, as if it was English from England or from the, yeah, the mm-hmm. UK. Uh, it will be understandable for you, but it just wouldn't be quite right. Right, but mm-hmm. you know, you'll notice. Oh, this is like when I see some words spelled just a little different. I'm like, ah, oh, it's Europeans or Canadians. You know, they do <laughs> potato, potato, down. yeah, down. aluminum, the, <laughs> aluminum. Yeah, <laughs> so aluminum. But that's, that's, that's kind of the the least. Like, for, in my opinion, uh, when it comes to um, different variants of a language. What's more, most difficult is uh, when you want to land jokes, for example, or mm-hmm. if there are any mm. puns or um, specific jargon or specific winks to that audience, um, others are going to miss it. And or others can be offended as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Words don't mean the same, I, in, in, even if you speak the same language. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. People can get offended. Mm-hmm. Solemn Bros has a question. How can you have an idea of how much it costs for LQA f- to put on my budget? How do you come up with right. your, your idea of, of how to budget it? Great question, Salam. Thank you. And that's the million dollar question, right? <laughs> no, but we have no <laughs> secrets here. Million dollar? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, hopefully it's not a million. Um but it depends on how many languages you want to target. Um, but for you to have an idea, depending, of course, how rare that language is or how hard it is to find qualified people in that specific uh, genre or language mm-hmm. or even platform, because sometimes finding testers that have access to consoles in certain regions can also be a challenge. Uh, but having that all in mind, um lqa as we said is charged by the hour mm-hmm. and the costs may range between 35 to 65 the hour depending of course on this variables that i mentioned previously um and as we always say uh, in our talks here it's like it's always better to plan like start small uh we know that um you can start with two or three or even five languages, depending, of course, on your budget, and then scale from there. You don't necessarily have to do every single language at once. Um, but yeah, that's uh, a nice where to start. Excellent. So I guess we're ready for our next talk. Real quick, what, what fav- sure. what's your favorite game right now? What game are you playing? 
Well, I'm playing Bileheim right now, and I suck. You're, you're not at the first person to say that. My house, my 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 house is awful. <laughs> well, my PC can't run Bileheim, but I'm I'm rocking Hades right now. Is it Rock on Hades? Nice. Yeah. I still gotta play. Everyone's telling me play Valheim. I'm an art, a role player, so I love that stuff. I love that kind no, of game. you have to. You have to. Mm-hmm. It's it's incredible, and it's already hit like what four millions already? It's crazy, is what it's I hit. I saw yeah. five yesterday. How many people made that game? Five people. There were five people working on that yes, game or they something. Were five. Yes. Good job on them. So small team. They yeah, gotta be like jumping up and down. Congratulations. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yesterday I was reading the news and I was like. These guys are celebrating believe, like 24-7. Yeah. They have to, please. <laughs> I want to believe that. <laughs> uh, they're like partying and mm-hmm. driving around in Lamborghinis or whatever. They I don't should. Know. Um, have you sent us the your presentation deck? It, um, it, I believe not, we have. If not, it? you can find it. Uh, find us over Discord, and we'll share that with you guys. Uh, okay. Gals. Well, what we do is we send it out to the people that signed up for the event. So you send it to us, and then mm-hmm. we'll send it out. Okay, right. so if you want we'll to send it to me, that would be awesome because I I'll guess we're sending it, it. We're sending it out right after the last speaker, so I have then to go round them up and make sure we have everything. We're gonna so, take care of that right now. Thank you so yeah, much, Indy, for down the whip <laughs> for uh, having us today. Thank, thank you, Jay. Indy. Thank you, uh, Indy Thanks, Game Business. Everyone. Yes, thank you, and you know we'd like you on the podcast too. It's great stuff. Thank you so much. Of course. Take care, guys. Get ready. See Get ready. Soon. We got. What do we got next? Nika Noir. We got Nika Noir. We got Sarah Spears and Andre and Diverse Game Developer Fund. What you need to know. That's what's coming up. Thank you. Awesome. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at. Indiegame.business.